Um, let me just. Right, good. Excellent. Thanks for leading us in uh, some great songs there to worship and magnify Christ and to uh, lift him up, even as we uh, think about the gospel and think of that great song there. It's um, He bore our wrath at the cross so that we can stand forgiven and free because of what he has uh, done for us. A great way to lead into our talk today. But just before we get to our talk, I do want to give you a quick update on Rod Houston. Um, some of you may have received an email from Rod through the week, but others you may not be on his email database. Uh, Rod's been going through a pretty difficult time over the last um, probably year and a bit, probably 14, 16 months. Um, he's finally been able to secure a spot for some intensive counselling and help and a uh, specialised um, group in USA, uh, which deal with... Uh, missionaries who are sort of suffering and struggling with perhaps um, stressful conditions. So he's able to get there in October. So he'll spend three weeks there going through that and trying to give him uh, some help to try and uh, regain his um, sort of composure, regain his strength mentally. And then what he's going to do from there, he's going to go back through Afghanistan and then um, do some time there, just sort of closing off somewhat with some of the people there. At this point, he doesn't feel like he's able to go back to Afghanistan full time. He's not shutting the door shut, as in you know, sealed permanently, he would like to think maybe somewhere down the track he might be able to uh, be able to get back there, but he wants to go back and actually just uh, close off with some of those people that he's made some really good contacts with there back in Afghanistan. So he's going to do that for a week or so, and then he's going to come back to Australia and be here permanently um, for the foreseeable future. But having said that, he's also going to look at perhaps working with some Afghan refugees uh, down around the Melbourne area, which I think would be a great way to actually uh, use some of those skills and the language stuff he's picked up in Afghanistan as well. So we are going to stand with Rod uh, all the way as, as whatever is required. So please keep him in your prayers, particularly over the next month or so, six weeks as he goes back to the States for this um, counselling and help. And then uh, again, as he sort of then begins to relocate on a more permanent basis back into uh, Melbourne and working in those refugee areas there as well. So it's the quick update on Rod there for that one to uh, keep us in the picture. So today uh, we are back on our series, uh, still on our series here. Let me make a start on that. <clears throat> uh, what does that mean? Numbers of passages out of the Bible that people have given to us uh, ask us, what does that mean? What do those tricky parts mean? And uh, again, we're doing this because we want people to engage in God's Word. We really want everybody here at Exchange to be connected to God's Word because this is primarily where we hear God speak to us. We meet God in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit works through those Scriptures and unveils and unpacks to us who Christ is and what the gospel is all about. So this is where we primarily um, discover God, hear from God, is in his word. So that's, that's what we're doing these ones here because sometimes you read these passages and you really are sort of stumped by them. What does that really particularly mean as we think about that? Today's one's from Luke. But uh, sometimes as you read the Bible, there are some parts that are really easy and quite enjoyable to read. Some are really easy and some are really enjoyable. You read about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and you sort of feel drawn and attracted to them. You hear those things like, blessed are the meek and blessed are those who are mourned and blessed are the poor and blessed are the merciful because they'll inherit the kingdom of God. You sort of feel nice about those things. You feel sort of drawn to those things. They feel um, sort of very comforting and you feel uplifted somewhat when you read those. But then there's other things that Jesus says that are really quite challenging that are really quite difficult. There's some things that Jesus says are really quite hard and they're really quite uncomfortable as well. And uh, these are the things normally that are 
associated with the cost of discipleship, what it is to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of those things are uncomfortable. Some of those things are difficult. Some of those things are hard to hear. But nonetheless, Jesus has got those things there for us to hear because he wants us to grow and develop and mature as his disciples. So let's go to Luke chapter 9. Let's hear some of these hard things that Jesus has got to say to us today. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 51 and then we're going to read through to uh, verse 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? A couple of very um, impetuous sort of men there, didn't they? But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But, f- but let me first say farewell to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, thank you today that we can come and freely gather around your word. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, you would come and open our hearts up here to what Jesus is saying. Now, the cost of discipleship. Now, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, the sacrifice that is required, uh, the urgency that is required, the focus that is required, the intensity that is required to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, We ask today that you'd help us to see that we don't do this in our own strength, our own power, but we do this uh, through Christ who's already walked the road to Calvary before us and he bids us and he calls us to follow me, follow him that is Jesus on that same road. Help us to see that today and help us to uh, set our face just as Christ did for Jerusalem uh, for the road to discipleship, we pray. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is one of those challenging passages of the Bible here as we look at this. Uh, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Uh, We're told in John's Gospel and he wasn't afraid at all to speak the truth uh, to anybody wherever he was because ultimately Jesus knew the truth would set people free and liberate them into joyful uh, worship and praise of God their maker. Uh, And this passage is one of those clear passages where Jesus speaks truly of the cost of following him in his kingdom. It's one of those sort of radical discipleship passages that Jesus puts out there for us today to hear and to apply to our lives as we think it through. Let's set the scene here partially for us as we look at this uh, text before us. Luke uh, is the writer of this gospel. He's writing a biography of Jesus. He's actually uh, picking up a snapshot of the life of Christ, particularly over the three years of his ministry. There's a little bit about Jesus in his early life in Luke as well, but it's mainly about these three years of ministry here. 
And it's a snapshot here of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's recorded and written various circumstances and teachings from Jesus as he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to do that. And this passage here is very significant for Luke as he writes this. There's various stages of Jesus's ministry across these three years, but the stage he's now entered into is the road to the cross at Calvary. You'll see there in verse 51, which helps us to see there, it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So we're entering like this final stage of Jesus's life. He's actually got his face set towards Jerusalem. And really that means one thing, Jesus is going to die. He knows that. He's on the path and the road to Calvary. Jesus has this deep inner resolve there. He's set his face means he's actually determined to follow this course to Calvary and to the cross of crucifixion. Just prior to this passage, uh, Jesus has made known to his disciples that he's going to die. The path of the Messiah will be the path of death. And these guys, these disciples, don't really get that at this stage. Despite Jesus saying it really clearly, they didn't fully comprehend that the Messiah was going to die. And Jesus is also following up by saying that they also will follow him on this path of sacrifice. They too uh, will actually walk this road to Calvary, not in the sense that Jesus goes to die. Well, they die the same as him, but the path of challenge and sacrifice. But the disciples don't get that either when he says that to them. In some point, it was sort of somewhat hidden to them at that stage. So here we have Jesus at this stage here, uh, walking the road to Jerusalem, walking the road to Calvary. And along this road, we pick up a couple of instances here where Jesus uh, meets these people and he has with his disciples and he has a bit of um, discussion with them. First one we saw there was they set out for Jerusalem and they're rejected at this Samaritan village. And then secondly, we have these three people that Jesus addresses with the cost and the priority here of the kingdom. And the big idea here that Jesus is getting at in in these uh, three encounters is this radical discipleship that God calls us into, that Jesus calls us into. There's a sacrifice to be made in following Christ. This sacrifice, though, does come and discipleship comes with a silver lining Because Jesus is the glorious goal that we get to enjoy through this discipleship in the middle of sacrifice and challenge as his disciples. So let's briefly just look at what Jesus says in these three encounters. And then we'll go back over it again, but we'll do it in a more detailed way of actually sort of asking ourselves, what does Jesus mean when he says that? But firstly, what does Jesus say? I think it's really clear here, but let's just explain it quickly. He has three encounters, verses 57 to 62 with these various people. And the first one's in verse 57, 58. And it says, they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Seems like a really strange response from Jesus, doesn't it? You would sort of think, hey, someone's asking to follow Jesus. Wouldn't you want to just embrace them and bring them all on board? Let's get into it. Let's go. Jesus answers a bit differently than what we may have expected. Now, I guess we don't know how sincere this guy is in his request to follow Jesus, but there's another account of this in Matthew 8. It talks about the the very same thing. And we're told there that it's perhaps a scribe um, who's actually come and asked this to Jesus. Now, a scribe back in Jesus' day would have been used to a fairly comfortable lifestyle. He would have been quite accustomed to good housing and well-clothed and well-fed each day. But Jesus is saying, to be a follower of me, it will be costly. You may not even have a house to call your own. 
That's the first one. Second encounter is a similar story, verses 59 and 60. To another he said, follow me. This is Jesus talking to another guy. But he responds, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus happens to point at another guy who's standing nearby and he says, follow me. Good thing for Jesus to do. But this guy responds, Lord, please let me go and organise a funeral for my father first. Now, again, we don't know the background of this guy who Jesus has sort of randomly pulled out here at this time. But in the text, as we read it there, it doesn't actually say that the father is dead. He just sort of says, I'd better stick around so I can arrange the funeral of my father when he does die. What's Jesus saying? I think Jesus' radical call to discipleship here is an urgent one. It's an urgent one. We haven't got time to just stick around waiting for some things to happen, which could be years away. And meanwhile, many souls plunge into hell. Jesus answers him, let the spiritually dead, as it were, look after those details. Get on with the job of proclaiming the kingdom. The third encounter Jesus has with another guy who wants to follow him. But the guy says, let me say goodbye to my family and friends and then I'll be right with you, Jesus. 61, 62, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those of my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' response here again is pretty radical when you think about this. In a sense, Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, you need to have a singular focus. You can't put your hand to the plough or join my kingdom and then sort of look back over your shoulder, trying to steer a plough at the same time or try and keep a focus in my kingdom. It just won't happen as you try and look at everything you've left behind in that sense. If you do that, you'll lose focus of my kingdom, you'll lose focus of where you're going with the plough and you'll end up going around in circles. You'll have no idea what you're aiming for. And here's what Jesus is saying in those texts. These are the words here that he sort of says out to these uh, three individuals of radical discipleship that Jesus calls us into. But what does Jesus really mean when he says those things? What's he really getting at? If you're not a Christian here today and you're hearing this, you're going to think it's crazy, aren't you? Who really wants to be involved in that? You're trying to sell me a guy who says following him is going to cost me possibly big time. Or you're trying to sell me a guy who won't let you organise your parents' funeral. Or you're trying to sell me a guy who won't even let me go back and say farewell to my family if you're reading this on face value. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a believer and you're just kicking the tyres of Christianity, you're going to think this doesn't sound very good at all. What sort of person is this who would call me to this path? You You guys are crazy if you're going to follow someone like that. That makes no sense. Who wants to live like that? It's challenging and I get that. I really get that on face value. I totally get where you're coming from if that's what was being meant there by what Jesus was saying. And to speak like that today isn't what you call highly attractional speaking as far as the church is concerned. If that was just the message, it's not something that's going to pull the crowds when we talk about the cost here of what it is to follow Jesus. I remember hearing a sermon of Matt Chandler's about uh, three years ago. He's a, he's a great guy from the Gospel Coalition in, uh, in the USA. And he has what he calls space creation sermons. 
And sometimes he talks about the cost of discipleship and he knows it's going to create some space in his church because some people will just jump off. Actually, I didn't know this is, well, this is all involved about following Jesus. Uh, we don't want anybody to jump off today. We want everybody to stay on board because we, we are here to exalt Jesus Christ and we are here to open up every passage of Scripture to see what Christ has got to say to us. Because we want to build strong disciples who love and worship Him and know exactly what discipleship is all about. Having said that about this challenge and this uh, discomfort in following Jesus and what He's saying here, I totally agree with it. I totally agree with it. I mean, you can't disagree with it. What Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be all in. You've got to be all in. You can't put one foot there and one foot there and try and live both ways. Jesus is saying, you've got to be all in. To follow me in this world will require total commitment and undivided loyalty. That's what you'll need to have if you're going to follow me. To follow me in this world and survive it, it will, it will require sacrifice and it will require cost. And even if you're not a believer in Jesus, I'll think you'll still agree with his radical, radical commitment to some extent. Even though I've just said you may think we're crazy for living like that or pursuing that, I think you will agree with us to some extent. And I'll say that for this instance. Imagine if you're invited to join a theatre group. Maybe there are some people here with acting abilities or whatnot. You'll be presented with an invitation to take part in a prestigious playing venue, possibly, in front of highly respected people. And to do that, you'll probably ask for deep loyalty and commitment over the next few months during your practice and performance of that theatre group. Quite possibly, you won't be able to take any holidays over that time because you'll you'll be locked in for the season or the duration of that theatre. Possibly you'll be required to keep away from any high-risk activities so that you aren't injured and can't take your place in that theatre group. Or you'll be required to maintain a good diet so that your health won't deteriorate for the duration of that season. That's not unusual to take place. Some groups will require this total commitment and strict discipline over the duration of the event. So people get this idea here of of a... perhaps a, uh, uh, a strictness in, in staying to some things. And they won't argue that because they think this event's really highly important. Jesus is saying here to follow me in my kingdom in this world, it is all in. It is all in. Jesus is saying to follow me, you'll have to be prepared for challenge and sacrifice in my kingdom in this world. Jesus has already said to the disciples earlier a similar thing. In verses, uh, chapter 9, verse 23, he says this. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, so following Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And pretty hard words if you think about that. Deny myself, take up his cross, my, uh, the cross of Christ and follow me. Jesus totally understood what was at stake in following him in this world. Jesus knew that this world would be hostile towards him and the gospel. So therefore, in a sense, the world also would be hostile to a degree towards his followers as well. Now, if we think about the flavour of Christianity, it has ebbed and flowed over the centuries. 
But currently, it's probably very safe to say that Christianity isn't the flavour of the month uh, around the world, particularly in Western democratic nations. Actually, in most Western democratic nations now uh, that are actually built on Christian principles and Christian values, they are actually squeezing out the Christian voice and Christian values. In many respects, we're not wanted. They appreciate the foundations they've been built on, but as we still continue to raise that voice, actually they want to squeeze us out. Much of society now wants to pull away from the sexual ethics of the Bible. Some in society see the Bible as just way too narrow. Why can't we all find our own way to God? Why does Jesus have to be the only way? Some see Christianity as dead, dull, boring, and that takes all the fun out of life. There's a spiritual element also that is against uh, the gospel, against Christ as well, actively working in this world. Satan works overtime in deceiving and battering down our faith, challenging it, making it difficult. This spiritual darkness is constantly chipping away at us, trying to erode our faith and our path of following Christ. So Jesus knows what's at stake here in the sense of following him in this fallen world, in this difficult world. So Jesus tells this first guy here in verse 57, 58, there's a cost involved in Jesus's kingdom. Following Jesus will be a costly venture. It does call upon us as we worship Jesus that we must worship him with our resources. As disciples... We'll be committed to seeing his kingdom grow. We want to see the kingdom of Christ grow here in the greater Shepherd and region. We want to see the kingdom of Christ grow around the world. There'll be a call upon us with the resources, finances that God has given to us to actually contribute to the growth of that kingdom. There will be a cost. Jesus has told this guy that he, Jesus, doesn't have a home. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head down. But we need to ask ourselves when thinking about this, is Jesus saying that we've all got to be homeless then? Because you might possibly read that into it. Is that what Jesus is saying? That somehow we've all got to be homeless? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Jesus isn't saying that we've got to be homeless. In other words, sell our homes, then give all our possessions or money away. But at the same time, Jesus must still be the Lord of our resources. But also having said that, we don't rule out that Jesus may call some people to very humble lifestyles. Jesus may call some people to actually downsize from their lifestyle to a far more humbler means. And maybe to contribute some of those resources for his kingdom. And having said that, Jesus may also call some people to live homeless. You go to perhaps an African or an Indian context in the the hundreds of thousands who live homeless lives there, Jesus may call some people to actually minister into those people and to be as them and to live homeless with them. We don't rule that out. Whatever Jesus calls us to, he'll give us the grace to carry out. But that may be the cost or the sacrifice that Jesus calls us to. And we have to see that. 
particular person here that Jesus spoke to wanted to go and bury his father in verses 59 and 60. So you could read that and say, does Jesus forbid us to carry out normal family duties? Is that what he's saying there? Is that what Jesus means? Actually, just abdicate yourself of all those responsibilities and don't go and um, carry out those family duties? No. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus wants us to honour our father and mother and that would include a burial service or a funeral, whatever needs to be done there for them. He's not saying don't do that. But I think the person there that Jesus is talking to at that time, there was a sense of stalling with that person. A sense of stalling. Lord, let me hang around home for a while and see what family duties need to be carried out before I actually really get on board with your kingdom. I've got my cousin's 21st coming up next year and I really want to make sure I'm around for that. And I've got my parents' 30th anniversary. That's about another year after that. I just need to hang around and just make sure I do a few of these things first. Now, none of those things are wrong at all and we should be actually able to get involved in those things. But I think at the same time, when this guy's perhaps stalling here in a sense, Jesus wants us to see a sense of urgency with the gospel. A sense of urgency here with the gospel. Because we can all find a stack of things to fill up our calendar that are good and they're not sinful and we can all get crazy busy with life And we can lose a sense of the urgency of the gospel. Could have actually just let our minds get all carried away on all these other things. And this urgency begins to slip away. We begin to lose sight here that the jaws of hell are open wide and they are swallowing people wholesale. That people daily, people every minute, are crashing into the judgment of God in hell and we lose the sense of urgency when that happens the discipleship that Jesus calls us into is an urgent one it's an urgent discipleship for some of us we will need to reassess what's a priority in my life or what I'm making a priority in my life do I really have to fill up do we really have to fill up our lives driving our kids to all these myriad of activities that aren't wrong as such, but are just consuming all of my time and energy. And in that, I'm getting a a loss of focus of the urgency of the gospel. Do I need to seek that promotion at work that'll see me do more hours, again on top of my already maxed out schedule? And if that's the case, then I've got less time again for any gospel service. Not necessarily wrong to take a promotion at work, but if I look at the priorities here, look at the urgency of the gospel, and look at what choices I'm making, am I making an urgent choice for the urgency of the gospel? Am I stalling? Am I procrastinating here? Am I looking for other things to fill my life up and not choosing here to uh, take the path of urgency in discipleship? An honest assessment will uh, will be required. And part of that assessment of our lives will be is to have an urgency for the gospel here as Jesus has said to this guy. It'll be to look at things that are not wrong but maybe they're just not necessary. And I've got too many of these not necessary things filling up my head and I'm losing 
urgency for the gospel about that. This is the discipleship that Jesus calls us into. It's an urgent discipleship. The third guy that Jesus speaks to, he just wants to go back and say goodbye to his family. Sounds perfectly reasonable, doesn't it? Sounds logical. What's going on here when you think about this? It's very hard to say. Jesus says, you know, don't put your hand, if you put your hand in the plow, you can't look back. And I think Jesus' answer here actually helps us as we think about why he's saying that. Jesus gives us this picture here of a farmer who's playing with his oxen or his uh, cows. And the idea here is when a farmer ploughs, he needs to be focused. This cow's pulling the uh, plough along. He's along behind it and he's actually got to keep aiming and making sure he's following that right furrow. Then he does the next one beside that, and the next one beside that, and the next one beside that. He's got to be focused in a forward direction because if he looks back as he's hanging on to the plough and then sort of sees back what's going on behind him, all of a sudden the cow goes off to the left and he starts going out there and all of a sudden if you look back, um, you know, there's just circles going everywhere and you're not going to have nice right, straight rows of carrots or tomatoes or whatever they're going to grow back there. It's going to be a massive confusion. It's going to be loss of focus. So perhaps Jesus is saying in discipleship, if we keep looking back on what we've missed out on in life because we're following him, if we keep looking back on that, we will actually lose focus of where we are going. We'll lose focus about what the kingdom is all about. And it really is so easy to look back on the things we've missed out on sometimes in life. Perhaps he was thinking about his family, this guy, oh, I'm going to miss out on all these family times. I really, you know. It's easy for us to think like that. You could be like this. If I just didn't give any money to the church, I could pay off a new car or take an overseas holiday every year because I work out how much money I'm giving every week or every month. I could buy a new car with that money. We can look back on the things that perhaps we're missing out on and lose focus on the kingdom. Or if I didn't pursue my discipleship by going to church every Sunday and gathering with the believers, I could sleep in and have a relaxing brunch every Sunday down at the cafe. That would seem so much more enjoyable. We can look back sometimes on those things that we've missed out on and we lose focus when we look back. Or... If I didn't invest my time in walking the journey of discipleship with other people who are struggling, I could just kick back and relax with no commitment and no responsibilities. If I look back and think, if I just didn't have to do that, and as soon as we look back, we lose focus of what we've been called to as disciples. That is to do community and build others up in this faith. And I think we all do that sometimes. I know I do. Sometimes I uh, drive on a Sunday morning and I see these people enjoying a a breakfast on a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. And I think, oh, that looks so good. That looks so nice. The family out there doing that and they're just enjoying breakfast. It's not wrong and I love to see families doing that. But I would really love to see those same families in church worshipping Jesus as well. Absolutely. Discipleship has to be a focused task. Jesus is calling us to be singularly focused on him so that all of life is ordered around him. He's calling us to this intense focus in discipleship. We can't look back and we can't look around and spend our time in despair because of all the things I'm missing out on. If we are to do that, we'll be next to useless in God's kingdom. 
if I keep looking back to what I could have had and the things I'm missing out on, Jesus is saying, you're not going to be much use in my kingdom because you're not focused on my kingdom and moving forward. You're looking back. The call of discipleship is a focused one. So here's the cost here that Jesus is calling to us to in following him. There are sacrifices to be made. There will be discomfort to experience. And this is precisely what Jesus calls his followers to here on the Calvary Road. He says, follow me. And where is Jesus going? He's walking to Calvary. Follow me to Calvary. Jesus calls us to go without so that others can have. Jesus calls us to be urgent and not complacent. Jesus calls us to be focused and not distracted. Who can do that? Who can really live like that? Who can keep that intensity up? Who can maintain that focus? Who can keep that sense of urgency there? Who can go without so others can have? Maybe we can for a little while in our own strength. We sort of get this deep resolve within, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. But then after a while, it's amazing how comfort, complacency and distraction begin to overcome us. So we get drawn away from that again. And we just seem to fall over again in despair and feel powerless. So what do we do? So what do we do when it's like that? Do we just give up and say it's hopeless? I can't, I can't meet that cost. I can't do that. Here's what we do. We look to the one who's walked that road before us. We look to the one who's already on that road here for the disciples today. We look to Jesus who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. We look to Jesus who, who, who was rich and became poor so that we might become rich in him. We look to Jesus who with urgency has set his face towards Jerusalem and he walks that road and carries out the mission of the cross. We look to Jesus who with undivided loyalty and focus remained totally submitted to the Father's will all his life. And we see Jesus who's actually done all that for us. We look to Christ who's already walked that road to Calvary on our behalf so that my salvation is complete in him now. We look to him in faith. I don't have to endure the sacrifice of discipleship as it were, to gain his approval. Really important to see that because sometimes you can get lost in that discipleship cost. Am I sort of doing that? We get this motivation that I'm trying to earn his approval in that or earn his acceptance in that. We don't do that to earn his acceptance or earn his approval. We have to receive the love that he has for us, confess our sinful weaknesses in that, and he accepts me just as I am. And what does Jesus then do? He then calls me and you onto that road to Calvary. He calls us then to the road then of sacrifice. He calls us then to the road of urgency and the road of focus. And he calls us then with the strength that he supplies to do that, not to earn his approval, but to bring praise to his name. And sure, we won't do it perfectly. We will fall, we will fail. Comfort will overcome us from time to time and we will lose have a loss of urgency and we will lose focus from time to time, but we're not doing it to gain acceptance. We're now doing it to glorify his name and he continues to uphold us and strengthen us as we do that. But Jesus wants us to go into discipleship 
with our eyes wide open. With our eyes wide open. Is that the discipleship you know today? Is it a discipleship there of sacrifice? Is it a a discipleship of urgency and uh, focus and intensity? Is that the discipleship you're walking? Do you know a discipleship that comes with discomfort and sacrifice? If you're experiencing that, you are on the right road. Sometimes you might think, is it meant to be like this? I'm actually finding this difficult. I'm finding a bit of challenge here. You're on the right road. Or maybe you're choosing the safe, risk-free type of discipleship. Avoiding all challenges, avoiding all discomfort, avoiding all sort of urgency in the gospel, avoiding maybe even focusing intensely on the, on the kingdom going forward. That's a safe, risk-free, low-level discipleship. Even if it's a level of discipleship at all. What's the discipleship you're pursuing today in Christ? As I thought about that, I thought of this, uh, this reflection here uh, from an English soldier who spent time with a, a man who uh, wrote much about Christian discipleship and his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, this English soldier spent the last few days with Dietrich Bonhoeffer before he was executed by um, uh, the Nazi party. And he was a, a Christian who had uh, biblical views that were against Hitler and the Nazi party. And uh, here's the impression of this English soldier of uh, Bonhoeffer as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says this, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact he was alive. He was one of the very few persons I ever ever met for whom God was real and always near. On Sunday, April the 8th, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment, the thoughts and resolutions that it brought to us. He had hardly ended his prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had only one meaning for all prisoners, the gallows. We said our goodbyes to him. He took me aside. This is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. The next day he was hung in Flossenburg. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He knew the path and the road of discipleship. He knew the sacrifice that was involved. He knew the discomfort. He knew the challenge. But he also knew the Christ who walked with him on that road. He told his English friend, it is the end in one sense, but my life is just beginning. Yes, Discipleship is challenging and it's hard and sometimes in Bonhoeffer's case it will cost you your life. But it's only the beginning of life if that is the case. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you today confessing our absolute weakness and inability to walk this road of discipleship. 
Father, we come before you today hearing Jesus' call for discipleship and wanting to follow that call, but knowing there's much within us that will fight or resist at the same time. Lord, we come before you today knowing that that is the path of discipleship, but knowing also we live in a challenging world that fills our hearts with so many things that would distract us, that would lose our sense of urgency, that would rather spend uh, all our resources on ourselves than not on your kingdom. God, today I pray that your spirit would come and you would give us the strength that is required to follow this path of discipleship that Christ calls us to. And I pray, God, that we would do this uh, with the same determination that Jesus had when he set his face towards Jerusalem. God, I pray that we would do this with the same conviction that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has when he knows he's about to be hung. God, I pray that we would embark on this path of discipleship with joy and delight in Christ and know that nothing is worth hanging on to in this world in comparison to Christ. And that God, we would gladly uh, go through that sacrifice, that challenge, that discomfort, whatever it may be today, because we've met that glorious Saviour in Jesus. Help us today. Help us to do this as a community of people. Help us, Lord, in that. God, I think of Ben and Megan at the same time, Lord. God, the sacrifices they all make. Help us as a church, Lord, to identify with that, I pray. That they are on various levels and various scales. But help us to identify with that discipleship, Lord, and those calls you place upon our lives. That we don't do it on our own in one sense, but we do do it in our own sense as well. But, But we have the help and the support of the community. And I pray, God, that we would stand beside uh, Ben and Megan. And Lord, we would stand beside every single person here at Exchange on this path of discipleship. And God, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, God, that through this, you would be pleased to have Christ magnified out through our lives. And that out through that magnification of him that you would bring many other people into your kingdom. And that Lord, they would embrace the road to Calvary. Embrace it, Lord, with joy and love and devotion for the one who's walked that road before us. Father, today I do ask and I do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can come and uh, lead us.